shalom and welcome to the history of the Judaism, the history and story of the Jews, told by me, Yossi Silverman, a licensed tour guide and Jewish educator. The following podcast is made due to kind donations uh, through ko-fi.com slash scout Israel or patreon.com slash scout Israel. Uh, you can also PayPal me if I don't have a sponsor for the next podcast, uh, then it won't happen. So please feel free to visit co-fi.com slash scoutisrael or patreon.com slash scoutisrael. You can also find the links on my Facebook page or my web- website scoutisrael.com. Without further ado, uh, we're going to be discussing today the fall of the House of David, the beginning of a series of podcasts about the fall of the House of David. This podcast is entitled The Prophecy. Last time, we discussed the concept of the Am Ha'aretz, or the people of the land. We discussed the global the uh, global political situation. We discussed specifically how a group of people, a kind of uh, maybe landed gentry, landowning class in Israel, um, had a role in choosing the king somehow. Uh, and they installed a king. This king's name was Jehoahaz, or Jehoahaz, and this king was removed by the Egyptians and taken to Ribla. Uh, there he died in chains. Uh, he was then replaced by a gentleman known as. Eliakim or Jehoachim, but we're actually referring to him as Eliakim because his name was changed. In this podcast, we'll be specifically discussing what is a prophet, what is prophecy, how Jeremiah or Yirmiyahu, as we want to call him in Hebrew, the prophet, not the bullfrog. That's the last Jeremiah the bullfrog joke. So how Yirmiyahu differs from Yishayahu or Isaiah as people call him um, and what is Yirmiyahu's role in the story so I probably will say a few times again that Yirmiyahu is Jeremiah and Yishayahu is Isaiah or Isaiah again that could be a whole different person's podcast on how you pronounce that one um, all the culture and uh, maybe somebody will correct me and say some somehow there is some culture that isn't. But as far as I'm aware, all the cultures in the ancient Near East and beyond have something like a prophet. They have like a soothsayer or a prophet. The Greeks have oracles. The Romans were famous for uh, slaughtering birds before battles and checking their entrails for mystical signs. Uh, in the Western culture... There's also kind of a myth of like a witch or a wise woman and she makes curses about the future. We're all familiar with Shakespeare and the, the whole concept of beware of the Ides of March. If you're not familiar with Shakespeare and don't know what the concept of beware of the Ides of March is, uh, email me. I can suggest many places where you can increase your education on that, but that's not so much what we're talking about. But yeah, you get the general idea. Everybody has a prophet, some bloke what that has a connection with the divine and predicts the future. However, there is a certain thing which is, uh, I don't want to say unique. 
Uh, the reason I don't want to say unique is I don't know that much about other cultures' profits, but maybe uh, out of the ordinary for what would have thought a profit is. Uh, the, the prophet in Judea maybe does slightly different things, which we're going to discuss. We have a tendency in the modern world to compartmentalise things. We would say a prophet is like a spiritual advisor um, and a royal counsellor. That's a temporal advisor. Uh, and, and these two things are different, right? You know, if, if uh, let's say... I think this might have even happened. Let's say that a president started taking the advice uh, of one of those people with a, 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 you know, mumbo-jumbo mystical astrology column. We we would probably compartmentalise it. We'd probably say that that's different from the uh, president of the United States having a discussion with uh, with somebody who who has a degree in politics and is I don't know a, a, maybe a, a a military professional at West Point? We say that's different. Uh, I'm not sure that that's actually true uh, for Judea, and I'm not sure it's true even for for the ancient world either. Very much this compartmentalization is an outgrowth of the modern world, uh, a world that separates everything into nice neat categories. Uh, in fact, the, the vast majority of modern science is based on separating things into nice, neat categories. You know, I have a degree in in uh, politics and philosophy, uh, and my friend he has a degree in biology. Therefore, I am a uh, uh, political scientist. I am a humanities major, and he is a science major. Uh, in the ancient world, things kind of flow a bit. The classic example with that with uh, that discussion is a long time ago. Both of these would have just been called philosophy, one natural philosophy and one uh, moral philosophy. Uh, so there's no neat categories. It's uh, Things are more of a bit of a continuum. In a literal sense, a prophet is both a mystical supernatural analyst that predicts the unseen future, and he is also a political analyst who comments on what's actually going on around him. Uh, we think of all the prophecies being about, you know, the prophet going into a crazed trance and seeing the future, and sometimes they're not seeing the future, they're seeing what's going on. And also kind of cutting edge, and not just uh, commentary, but also like political theatre. Um, a good example, I'm trying to give you, explain what I mean by political theatre. good example of political theatre, uh, Martin Luther King's march on, uh, on the march to Washington, also his march in, to Selma. That would be political theatre. I'm not talking about what's genuine and not genuine. I'm talking about how you make political change. So there, this is also what, what prophets do. So... I'll give you an example, when, uh, which is re relevant to our story. When Isaiah, Yeshayahu, uh, as we mentioned a few podcasts ago, the Assyrians invade the country um, around about in the 8th century. And uh, this is a historic event. And in uh, the text of the Bible, 
It discusses Isaiah standing on the walls of Jerusalem all night in a prophetic rapture, calling out to God to get rid of the Assyrians. And this is prophecy, but it's also political theatre, right? And it's also a battle tactic, right? So you got all these things jammed together. We have to take them apart. When Isaiah, when Yeshayahu and Yirmiyahu and Isaiah and Jeremiah explain uh, their political opinion that, uh, that it's better to rely on the Babylonian Empire than the Egyptians, uh, this is both prophecy and this is also also uh, global political analysis the example of jeremiah and political theater there's this scene where he takes his belt off in front of a great crowd of people we call them the members of the press and he buries the, his belt on a riverbank to show that he even though judea is going into judah is going into exile they will return before his belt decomposes now, sometimes journalists do predict the future. To a certain extent, by the way, maybe we could call uh, the prophets the journalists of the day. There aren't any journalists. I mean, there are people who record things, but there's nobody to act as that kind of bulwark against the power of the king. You've got uh, in Judah the position of the king. You've got the position of the, the priest, which is very much uh, a at least outwardly a ritual function. I'm sure they have political ones too. Um, uh, and you have the prophet. And I'd say the prophet is to a certain extent a journalist. Maybe prophets also just look at what's happening and then they give a description. They give an explanation over what they think the dangers are and what might happen. And then we, we'd say when it does, oh, that's prophecy. When the prophet advises the king not to support the Egyptians, because uh, both Isaiah and Jeremiah call out against supporting the Egyptians and instead uh, falling to the yoke of the Babylonians uh, that that's from the point of view of global politics not not just spirituality now we said the prophet is is also a conscience a conscience of the body politic uh, he's very much the voice of and she by the way I keep saying he but if we're talking about generic prophets we have female prophets uh, if you were listening to the podcast before last, you might have heard me mention the name of the prophet Hulda. Uh, she's prophetess. So they're also the conscience of the, the body politic, the voice of the poor, the downtrodden. Uh, sometimes it's also the voice of common sense. You know, common sense would say don't treat people nastily. So Isaiah and Jeremiah, Yeshayahu and Yirmiyahu are known for being the uh, source uh, in the uh, in our world of religious social activism they call for justice for the widow and the orphan and the stranger and they really rail against a, a, some kind of social dynamic that seems to and economic dynamic that seems to be going on in ancient Judea, judah against the widow and the orphan and the stranger and they explain that this is one of the reasons that the society is going to be destroyed this is one of the reasons the temple is going to be burnt down a city which is not just cannot continue to exist both jeremiah and isaiah are to a certain extent historical characters we've always been wrestling 
I feel in the podcast with this this challenge that maybe what I'm saying uh, is is more of a religious story. It's not really a historical story. Not really when you get to this point in history. A way I like to think of uh, the struggle we've had in the podcast is we kind of look back into the mists of time uh, and as we get closer and closer to our point in time these mists tend to clear. So we were looking um, right all the way back before we even rebooted the podcast over with uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, We're dealing with, with dense fog. Very difficult to see what became before a certain point in in the history of this group we're calling the Jews. At this point in history, we're dealing with unclear history. We we kind of know there's something over there. There's a mist in between us. We can't quite see it, but we can make out some shapes and hear some voices to know who's talking. So uh, Isaiah, as we mentioned uh, in... I think not last podcast, but the podcast before, is a historical character. Or at least most people would say it is, mainly because we found his stamp, the stamp in the uh, old city of Jerusalem, in the place in between the city of David and the Temple Mount, which said on it, uh, Isaiah prophet, Yeshayahu Navi. Many historians tend to think Jeremiah is also a historical character as well. So both both of the books mention verifiable historical accounts with another account, a mirror account to it. The conquest of Sargon II and Sennacherib, which we've already covered. The downfall of the Assyrian Empire, which is, uh, you know, is a hard to ignore that one. The Battle of Karkamish, which is, uh, is something that happened, mentioned in name. The invasion of Judea, Judah by the Babylonians, that's just to name a few. So these are, these are historical texts, but also we have the, the mist of history separating us, and also uh, there, as we mentioned before, religious texts. So it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be approached like a history textbook. Uh, Jeremiah seems intimately involved in the politics of his time. Not only this, there's a whole glut of uh, what's called epigraphic finds, which means finds in archaeology to do with names from the book of Jeremiah. In the city of David, just a few examples of this, they found two of the scribes that recorded Jeremiah's words, meaning they found the stamps of those scribes. Um, What do we mean by stamp? Well, Put very simply, you write a letter in the ancient world, you need to seal it, so you roll it up and you stamp onto the um, the paper some clay and uh, you, you personalise it. So the stamp has your official signature uh, and it'll both have maybe a name and a little picture. So the name's found, uh, sometimes not a picture, at least the name. So the names found in uh, the city of David archaeological park are Gedaliahu ben Pashur and Yehuchal or Jehuchal in uh, King James ben Shlemiahu. So Gedaliahu, the son of Pashur, and Jehuchal or Yehuchal ben Shlemiah. Uh, and the, these are people who take uh, 
a fairly significant role in the story of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah also made, mentions a, a Babylonian eunuch, uh, one of the um, servitors of, of, of the emperor of Babylon, who seemingly was had a role in the story, which is called in the Bible. Now, let me get this right. It's a little bit difficult because it is not the most easiest name to pronounce. Nebo Sarsekim. It is, yes, I know, it's a bit of a tongue twister, but don't worry. Uh, that's probably not the original uh, Babylonian name because there's a Babylonian source that talks about a eunuch called Nabu Sharu Usu Ukin. A lot easier than Nebo Sarsakim. So I, I, don't don't focus it on it on it so much. What we're talking about is that there's a a a uh, name which sounds very similar, especially if you know the um, languages involved. It's probably the same person uh, mentioned both in the biblical text and in the Babylonian source. Uh, it, in the next podcast, we're going to explore the destruction of Jerusalem, which Jeremiah and other biblical texts described. Even this is mimicked in Babylonian sources. So, But, but just by that alone... Uh, mentioned in the Bible, also mentioned in the Babylonian sources. The first question is, why does Jeremiah even bother? Like, why bother? You've got Yeshayahu. I keep saying all the way along, Isaiah, Yeshayahu and Jeremiah, they say the same things. So why why have Jeremiah? Uh, Isaiah kind of predicts the destruction of the temple, predicts the exile, predicts the return of the captives. Why bother? What's even the difference between the two approaches? Firstly, uh, Yeshayahu's approach, uh, while wonderful, it, it hardly works, does it? Uh, uh, there's a classic charge on the uh, prophecy. If it's that so wonderful, why do people ignore it and then nasty things happen? Like, they predict the destruction of the temple, then people sin, then the temple's destroyed. Like, why bother prophesying in the first place? Temple is going to be destroyed. People aren't even going to listen to you. Um, so that's that's another question. I feel, when I read uh, Yeshayahu, Isaiah, is kind of aloof. Maybe that's half the problem, really. He's aloof. Is like prophesying from the top of the mountain. He deals with all these lofty concepts like, like the moral, ethical mission of the Israelite people being a light unto the nations. He sees like this utopian state of ultimate peace where nation will not lift up sword against nation. Each man will beat his sword into plowshares and his spears into pruning hooks. By the way, I'm quoting there. Like, didn't make that one up myself. A vision of divine angels. Uh, and who is Isaiah? We see from the historical evidence. It's actually the official titled uh, court prophet. Uh, Jeremiah, okay. He's not He's not lowly. He's by no means lowly. He's the opposite of lowly. Um, but he certainly becomes uh, persona non grata. By the way, you can have really, really, really lowly uh, prophets. There's one, one prophet, Amos, I believe, who um, is a fig orchard attendant. Not the particularly the most high job in the land. Also, we're going to discuss how he actually does get thrown into a pit or jail and a few times. So I feel one of the big differences here between Jeremiah and Isaiah is is that Jeremiah, you feel, is really prophesying from a pit. For example, 
Jeremiah predict, predicts the uh, destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, but he, he really goes into details. He says, Ko Hashem, thus says uh, God, Kutu Eitzah, cut down trees and uh, spill out over Jerusalem a ramp. The, the city is to be incarcerated is the best word of describing it in Hebrew. The city is to be incarcerated all of it uh, everywhere there is oppression that will be incarcerated that's just one example he's talking about the physicality of actually having a siege he's a physical the down-to-earth guy he talks about the the pain of uh, conquest with the phrase the very very memorable phrase now, I means my bowels, my bowels, my bowels. I cry in agony. That's that's typical Jeremiah, not this uh, hoity-toity uh, heavenly Isaiah. Um, I'd like to focus in depth on one particular parable-stroke vision uh, because it really, to me, it says what what is Jeremiah. So. This is from Jeremiah 24. Uh, God, God showed me uh, two baskets of figs uh, that were set before the temple of, of, of God. Meaning, two, a guy comes and he brings these figs uh, to be presented at the temple. And after that, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, that actually means Nebuchadnezzar, uh, for some reason they alternate between these two spellings, Nebuchadnezzar uh, of Babylon had carried away the captive uh, Yehoniah. We'll discuss that in a bit, what's happening there. And the son of Jehoiakim and the princes of Judah with the craftsmen and the smiths from the temple and brought them to Babylon. So this is is uh, the uh, king of Babylon coming to take people captive and conquer the city. Uh, but we're still focusing on the, what's going on back in the temple, even though these people have been taken away captive. So one basket of figs, uh, was very good figs and the other basket had very bad figs which couldn't be eaten they were so bad and the Lord and God said to me uh, what do you see Yirmiyahu and I said figs uh, and I said uh, some some of the figs are very good and uh, some of the, uh, the see the really bad ones look really bad and I you can't eat them because they're so bad uh, and God said to me, thus says God, the God of Israel, uh, like good figs, like these good figs, uh, I will remember the the exile of Judah, where I have, which I've taken from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. And I'll remember it for good. And I will place my eyes on them and uh, I will return them to this land. I'm going to skip a bit. And the bagged figs which you can't eat because of badness, because uh, God says, uh, this these bad figs I have given uh, as Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and his princes, and the rest of Judea, which are left in the land, and the people that live in Egypt. So that's the good figs, and that is the people who are going to be carried off into uh, Babylon uh, and brought back, and the uh, bad figs are... The, is the king and all of his supporters. 
So, so what do we mean by bad figs? Well, I'll tell you, we don't mean. We don't mean unripe figs or slightly smelly figs either. It means a very, very specific thing. So it's a bad fig. We're not talking, by the way, uh, you can come to Israel in uh, about May and you'll start to see the young figs and you can't eat them because they're a bit green. That's not what we mean either. So fig season is about August, September. A, a fig, you have to understand to make a fig inedible, you have to understand how the fig tree is pollinated and what a fig is. A fig is not a fruit. It is actually an enclosed flower. Figs pollinate through a specific kind of wasp that lays its eggs on the fig flower, which is the fig itself, uh, and then the uh, maggots burrow through the uh, fig. They eat the, the uh, nectary juicy bits and they get covered in pollen. And then when they emerge as an adult wasp, they're covered in pollen and they do the same thing and that way they pollinate fig trees. Um, many religious Jews know that you have to, you can't eat insects, so you have to thoroughly check figs. Very, very thoroughly. Some religious Jews don't even want to eat figs because of this. You, you have, you have a lot of figs can be quite maggoty. Um, and uh, you, you, you can get a fig without a maggot. So what is a bad basket of figs? Is a basket of figs so ridden with these maggots, which are actually there to pollinate it, that it can't be eaten due, due to the laws of keeping kosher. Why would you want to anyway? It looks nasty. Uh, however, even a basket of bagged figs has a purpose. You can leave it in the orchard and they'll pollinate the fruit trees. Even bad Zedekiah has a purpose. So this, this is a very dense parable, a very dense uh, vision where you have really this evil, but at the end, even at the end of the day, the evil has a purpose and the evil is a, a concept that really Jeremiah and uh, uh, Isaiah focus on. The even evil being, uh, an evil thing being a uh, utensil used by God. Jeremiah is... Jeremiah is big into these set pieces of political theatre as well. He's always burying his belt in a stream in front of a vast group of people I mentioned before. Um, he also buries a, a, a bottle as well. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, the ultimate expression of uh, Jeremiah is what I call pit prophecy in the book of Jeremiah. is the prophecy in Jeremiah 19 that as punishment, God will make the people eat the flesh of their own children. And this is... Uh, echoed in the book of Echa, the book of Lamentations, which is supposed to have also been written by Jeremiah, but I'm not going to get into uh, who wrote what. That's too much like historicity. Also, really important to express, it's not all doom. Don't want to give the impression that Jeremiah is just doom. Uh, just as he, he says in, in Jeremiah 33, once again will be heard the voice of uh, joy and the voice of uh, happiness, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. This specific phrase uh, in Hebrew, it's Od Yishamah Ba'ari Yehuda, Kol Sasom V'Kol Simcha, Kol Katam V'Kol Kala. Once again, will be heard in the uh, cities of Judea. The voice of the uh, bridegroom and the bride is actually mentioned as sang very joyfully at every wedding. Also, Jeremiah has a concept of too much anger. And part of the reason that the uh, destruction is supposed to stop and the uh, exile is supposed to be stopped and people have returned 
is because uh, uh, this concept of too much anger, that it's almost as if uh, Jeremiah describes it as uh, God having a cup filled with anger, which spills over and then can't be filled anymore. There can't be any more angry actions anymore. Uh, in short, we have Jeremiah who starts off in Josiah's reign, following on from Huldah's prophecy, and the, uh, the, the end is coming. He starts what is a never a great idea for uh, somebody who wants to have a quiet life, preaching the, tr the destruction of Ju Judah brought by the king. He preaches against the, the Egyptians uh, and that they would re receive the iron yoke of the king of Babylon, uh, meaning the Egyptians and uh, the Ju Judeans. And he wanders the country, prophesying against false prophets, telling people that evils are coming, making people fairly angry with him. So now let's plug this back into the story. Yeah, as we described last time, Josiah previously dies in battle, and then is succeeded by his son Jehoahaz, who is supported by the priest people of the land. And uh, here's a little bit of a thing I was saving for near the end. Jehoahaz has a very important father-in-law. Who do you think? Yes, you guessed it. His father-in-law is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the king's father-in-law. So that's how close close the inside the court is. Yohalhaz uh, marries a um, lady by the name of Hamutal, which literally means heat and dew. I don't know why. Um, maybe I'll try and work out later. Um, and all is not well. The, the Egyptians have been very much involved in the story of the death of Josiah. They invade and they depose uh, Jeremiah's son-in-law, as we said last time, and they replace him with Jehoahaz's brother, uh, Eliakim, and they change his name to Jehoachim or Jehoachim. And he reigns for eight years, and Jeremiah is pretty darn unhappy with him. And you can understand that Jeremiah is probably not the... the flavour of the month either uh, he is against it, the uh, support by uh, Eliakim for Egypt and his idolatrous practice and the continuation of all this impression of the widow and the weak and then at some point he stops support for Egypt uh, Eliakim stops supporting Egypt and uh, recognises that he does have to support the Babylonians, but he only does this for a very short time. Then he rebels again and carries on supporting for Egypt, probably hedging his bets. The Book of Kings describes him filling Jerusalem with innocent blood, uh, which doesn't go unnoticed by Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu explains that really it's this which is going to bring down the destruction of uh, Judah. It was a tumultuous time with the deposing of kings and intrigue from Egypt, as discussed in the Evil King podcast, and it's fairly safe to assume that people are getting whacked left and right and centre by um, Eliakim, and the populace is suffering. Then Eliakim manages to get through it, dying by natural causes, and his son, uh, get this, his name was Jehoakim, or uh, Jehoakim, uh, Kim, his son is Jehoakim with an N at the end, just to make things doubly more confusing. So Jehoakim or Jehoakim takes over, uh, and he carries on. We'll call him uh, Konya because that's one of his nicknames. So Konya takes over, and he carries on the revolt against the Babylonians and support for the Egyptians, all of which 
Jeremiah disapproves of because of course he his son-in-law was the guy who is against the Egyptians so there's also that there as well now the Babylonians they eventually invade and they take Jehoiakim away and put in Zedekiah who's an uncle of Jehoiakim just to make things even more confusing Jehoiakim who then was taken away to Riblah and then Eliakim takes over and then he dies and then his son Jehoiakim uh, becomes king then he's taken away and one of his another of his father's brothers takes over again Zedekiah so really you've got three brothers here haven't you you've got uh, Eliakim Jehoahaz and Zedekiah so Zedekiah the third of the brothers he becomes king uh, and he's not much better Yilmiyahu also makes prophecies against him uh, saying basically that Yehuda was supporting the wrong side the Egyptians and he's suspected of treachery if you're going to go attacking Egyptians and the king is supporting Egyptians people might call that treachery uh, so a group of courtiers come along and throw Yirmiyahu for not the last time in a pit uh, many think a cistern there's kind of the cisterns collect water big holes in the ground that collect water and they also teach them to collect a lot of mud in the bottom of the cisterns um, and he gets stuck in the mud there and he also calls out and makes prophecies whilst that two people we mentioned today uh, Gedaliahu ben Pashur and Yehukal uh, ben Shlemia they uh, record it so they sit there and they record the words of Jeremiah and they record him saying uh, thus says God who sits in this city will die from by the sword and by hunger and by uh, pestilence and anybody who goes out to the uh, the Chaldeans meaning to the Babylonians they they will survive and he says thus says God he who sits in this city, he will die. He who runs away from the city, runs towards the Babylonians, runs towards the Chaldeans, he says, will survive and shall live. And you can't say it clearer than that. Uh, something which you might have thought was very strange in the last episode was me sitting with my son as we made this uh, cardboard uh, diorama of ancient Israel and you're probably thinking why are we doing these arts and crafts well what we were creating there was really the the reality of this situation uh, it's not just about an evil king committing idolatrous crimes and killing uh, the widow and the poor it's also about supporting the wrong geopolitical actor supporting Babylon against Egypt this is is this is a rebellion this is a rebellion against the correct imperial overlords that is the big sin you're rebelling against your elders and your betters and we're going to see next time what happens when Judah rebels against its elders and its betters thank you very much for listening you have been listening to the history and story of the Jews told by me, Yossi Silverman, a tour guide 
and Jewish educator, except not right now because it's the Corona crisis. This is all being recorded during the Corona crisis. I do not have uh, much work. I'm working in manual labor. I'm not complaining about that. I'm telling you because I do not have the money for the hosting for this podcast. So if you want to see the next podcast that will rely on you uh, helping in your support by going to kodashfi.com slash scoutisrael uh, and donating or going to patreon.com slash scoutisrael and also donating. You can also see the uh, links for these two different ways of donating in the various uh, descriptions and show notes on the SoundCloud and also on YouTube because eventually I'm uploading this to YouTube. If you cannot afford donation, I understand it is the corona crisis. Uh, I cannot make another podcast until you do this. But if you want to show uh, another kind of support, go right this second to Scout the Scout Israel YouTube channel. Type in to uh, YouTube Scout Israel. That will direct you directly to the Scout Israel YouTube channel and subscribe. Another way of me supporting myself is through monetization. I need 1,000 YouTube subscribers to even think about monetizing and a similar number on SoundCloud. So also click subscribe right now. Thank you for very much for listening and hopefully the next podcast will be out very soon on the discussion of the destruction of Judah.